A different future starts with you. That's why GoDaddy does more than help you find a name. You can create, sell, and get found online so any small business can make a change. We need a new generation of thinking. Your way of thinking. Start different at GoDaddy.com. If you've recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients. Donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today. This is an ode to Napa cabbage. Of all the cabbages on all the cabbage farms, only you have the crisp crunch worthy of our Bibigo Korean dumplings. No other cabbage would do, because no other cabbage tastes like you. We love you, Napa cabbage. Just don't tell Green Onion. Napa cabbage, one of many obsessively crafted ingredients in every hearty, flavorful Korean dumpling from Bibigo. Go handcrafted. Go Bibigo. Authentic Korean dumplings now in the freezer aisle. The Innovation Podcast with Mark Reed Edwards and Garnett Harriman. Let's start the show. Hey, Garnett, how you doing? Great. How you doing today? I'm doing really well. Hey, we're, we're continuing our chat about experiential marketing with James Kern and Chris Clegg. What are we getting into this time? Uh, we're getting into some of the nitty gritty around uh, technology options and the primacy of data, you know, AR, VR, benchmarking, data for forecasting outputs and, and you know, engagement levels, that sort of stuff, which is kind of a big thing. You know, I was reading recently in, in Ad Age that there is a, a strange sort of um, inverse or even boomerang effect going on that um, a lot of large brands with a lot of money to spend on things like experiential are actually de-emphasizing the, the over-reliance on digital marketing. And, you know, this comes in the face of like Europe's GDPR and the Facebook, Instagram, YouTube backlash about people's data getting uh, appropriated and monetized, you know, all that larger context. And it's sort of an organic shift back towards real-time face-to-face events which are becoming a, a fairly essential part of holistic marketing strategies. I think we're going to get a lot of detail around that and, and flavor from these two experts in the field. All right, let's get to it. So in, in the past, brand experiences were mainly in the physical realm. And now with AR and VR and insert the buzzword you want there, things are changing. So how is the future going to look there? Well, James, that's, all, that's your world. I, I would love to see the future and see where we're going to be. I mean, I'll be the first in line to get plugged in, but James, you, you, you probably have more opinion on that than I do. Oh, you know, crystal balls, right? If we, if we could all have one that was accurate, it'd be wonderful to tell. But I think, you know, what, what we're seeing with, you know, these immersive and, and exponential technologies that are around us, artificial intelligence and voice command, right? We're starting to, to lose the need for physical interfaces. And I think that, you know, when we look at the future of what potential augmented reality looks like, you know, I think we're going to start having things where we're built into our, you know, daily glasses that we wear on our, our eyes for either sunglasses or for vision correction. We're going to have these, you know, enabled devices that are completely embedded in, in other things that, that, that are kind of core to our basic function and lifestyle. And, and it becomes more frictionless the way that we interact with these technologies. And what that does is it gives 
brands and and other types of information delivery systems uh, this ubiquitous access, this omnipresence in our lives that we ideally the the context and the timing is perfect for us and that creates you know even better value to the user to have access to whatever these messages or opportunities or promotions are um or or, or in right information at the right time and i think you know that's where where we're heading and i think we're starting to see some of it even now with the you know the major players in, in voice recognition and these connected home devices where you can talk to them and control your television and control your ice maker and your refrigerator and all these sort of things i i think we're going to start seeing that becoming uh smaller and more prevalent in a lot of different places in our world yeah it gets to that idea of reach too that you were talking about earlier because you know, digital as it stands today, independent of those things, is very it's very flat and cold and two dimensional. And experiential is is visceral. It's getting all those senses engaged. And and when you start bringing that uh, VR into the mix, you're starting to let let the uh, the web and let the internet be the catalyst for more senses to be engaged and to be more visceral and immersive experience, which. I think is going to ultimately lead to greater reach. More marketers are going to be able to get the benefits of experiential to more people more efficiently. And those are going to start to become exciting options for brands. Garnett, what, what do you think? One of the businesses you have is an apparel business. How about AR and VR in that business? I, I want to um, make a quick um, end cap to both uh, James's comment and Chris's comment. Uh, I, I think the, the dichotomy about like, uh, physical in the past and now virtual or augmented uh, or extended reality in the in the future in the current in the future that dichotomy is breaking down. I think Chris Chris kind of hit it on the head with the word visceral, and then uh, I'm also thinking of, of certain experiences James and I have had, like looking at new technologies together on the West Coast. And and a, a funny sort of side story comes comes to mind where in, uh, uh, James and I were. You know, had donned the uh, uh, iconic headsets for this particular technology, and you know we were deep into the virtual world, and and we were playing a very very physical experience, and my back went out. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about a physical experience. So James, James won. <laughs> James was such a gentleman about it. He, you know, he, he went on to win the game. I think. See if I needed a stretcher. <laughs> so, you, you know, to, uh, the, the visceral part that Chris was talking about, that's no joke. I mean, the, you know, the whole point of immersion is to be able to, to activate all, all your senses, as Chris was saying, and to, to be, I would say, transporting, right? I mean, literally transporting uh, a, away from the physical reality that you're in and into this reality that features some aspect, some, you know, compelling aspect of the brand story or the brand experience that you're that is sponsoring the the the, the game or the uh, 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 puzzle room or, or whatever it is that you're you're, you're going through that this whole notion of physical in the past and like virtual in the future i think that that dichotomy is like definitely sort of withering away very quickly um to get back to the 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 question that you posed about the apparel industry you know this is this is a really interesting thing one of my side projects is about working with a famous and, and fancy producer who is the, the head of um, New York Fashion Week. Uh, and, and as you mentioned, I, I, you know, on a much smaller scale, I, I own an apparel company. What we're seeing there is like complete and utter disruption on a large scale. Things like, you know, being able to experience through AR 
and and the information download systems that James was referring to earlier, being able to experience the entire supply chain about a, a garment in a in real time at a fashion show, um, and so you know you know you can do a deep dive or whatever level of, of dive that you want to do immediately in the moment, right? Um, through the you know different AR apps, being able to then switch directly from that supply chain perspective, you know, uh, an informational perspective to more of like a purchasing scenario or a, an ordering scenario at the very least. And then, you know, therefore compressing that time between the, the quote fashion show, you know, the invoicing, uh, the delivery, all of that stuff can, can happen quite literally in the blink of an eye. And, and that is sort of the future at a very high level of, of the apparel industry. And the challenge is basically finding because there are multiple solutions to do these uh, what's known as see now buy now the real challenge is that basically uh, a lot of these solutions have been promoted at the brand level and not necessarily at the industry level and that also is starting to change uh, i noticed at the last uh, new york fashion week extravaganza i was at that none other than sap was tooling around trying to recruit um, um, brands and, and fashion show producers to their so-called fashion platform. So uh, that's probably a little bit, little hint as to where the future is headed. Does that mean it's jumped the shark maybe already if SAP is involved? <laughs> it's going to be interesting, right? Because the things you can do with, you know, an integration into that, that SAP type ecosystem are, are, are pretty amazing. Uh, from, I don't know, a, a data collection, data analysis, uh, data implementation standpoint. Uh, and, and, you know, and then the all, you know, all of the different CRM integrations that exist with, with, uh, with SAP and within that ecosystem are also pretty compelling. Uh, and just the sheer amount of money right. that SAP can bring to the table to help galvanize like an industry wide, um, you know, or, uh, you know, a leading solution, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. Pretty compelling. So with these brand experiences omnipresent in our lives, what's the risk of overexposure and fatigue? James, what do you think about that? Yeah, well, I think you're hitting on a, an interesting point. And it, it, it's, I think what we start to see, and I think there's some academic research and study on this stuff about people's attention span and, and mind share. And, you know, I think there's, lots of increase in ADHD and different things for a variety of reasons. But I think part of it is just the amount of exposure to messaging that we're getting. And, you know, I, I've seen some statistics that talk about, you know, 20, 30, 40,000 exposures in a day if you're out in a big city environment. And, you know, 95% of those things are going unnoticed by, by the person who's uh, uh, being presented with those. Yeah, that's the key. Right? It's, it's cutting through the noise. Yeah, yeah. It's that key is that we, we filter that stuff out. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think a brand needs to worry about overexposure so long as it is going to be riveted, targeted on who it's talking to. And it's going to be relevant for that person because we're really good at ignoring the irrelevant information. It goes to that, like that, that story that says, you know, the, the furniture catalog that you get printed in the mail is, is a uh, disaster for the environment and it's junk mail and you despise the producer of it. Unless you're looking for a couch, if you're in the market for a couch, that's the most valuable piece of mail you could have gotten in the box that day. And, uh, and so that, that the importance and, and, and even the responsibility that marketers have 
to find those consumers and target them uh, respectfully is um, is makes that difference. And, and when the brands don't care and you've got the car commercials and you've got the insurance companies and you've got the same industries just blasting us for with advertising, we, we blocked that out across the board. But when the brands are targeting and when they're using the, the right data metrics, the right the right um, consumer targeting and messaging, uh, then they're going to be relevant. And, and that's that's where I think the brands can deal with the issues of or the risks of overexposure. So what I hear is personalization is the antidote to overexposure. For sure. Is that fair? Yeah. Well, relevance. Yeah. I mean, personalization, certainly. And then relevance. Like uh, we, we need to. I, I, there is certain information that I want to see right now, and, and the retargeting that I get online is very helpful. And there's certain information I no longer I no longer care about, and the retargeting is annoying. Um, and so, it it the personal is is almost table stakes. It's got to be relevant now. It's beyond that. Know who I am. It's now know what I want this moment instead of getting in my way with what I wanted yesterday. COVID nineteen patients need your help. If you fully recovered from COVID nineteen or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have the antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients recover. Donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit vitalant.org today to schedule an appointment to donate blood. That's V-I-T-A-L-A-N-T torg Help save lives and schedule your appointment at vitalant.org. You could help save lives. It's the difference between knowing your first name and knowing what you want and what's relevant to your life. Yeah. And the right information at the right time, I think, is, is a big part of it, right? And so it's, it's having that mechanism. And you look at, you know, there's some innovators in sort of the digital marketing space and some of the, some of the big clients that I have the pleasure of getting to bring to the stage and help them tell their story. They're invested heavily in the analytics and the metrics to understand what's been happening. And then the system of delivery to get the right message at the right moment to that individual and closing down the time frame it takes for them to read who that is that's interacting with them and then find that right piece of content to serve them right away. Totally. That's that's a huge part of the bleeding edge in these sort of marketing technology uh, ecosystems right now. Yeah, absolutely. So who's pointing the way to the future? What are some real world brand experiences that are futuristic already or will be soon? Oh, I mean, if you just pick up on what we were talking about just now, the right information at the right time and how fast you can deliver that. And I think there's a, there's a few different technology ecosystems that are primarily in the digital space because that's where this networked, connected, always, always gathering information and always able to deliver information is probably the strongest right now in, in our, in a society and technology ecosystems. So I think in digital, there's a lot of, you know, current capability in that way. And in fact, they talk about it in milliseconds, like literally from the time that a user is doing some behavior on a commercial website, uh, the small number of milliseconds it takes for uh, the algorithm to read what should be the next piece that we serve them based on what we're reading from them right now. And so that's, that's pretty impressive. And then when you take it into the physical realm, you know, I think what we're seeing a lot now is, is this, this what you guys were talking about earlier, the, the combination of physical and digital. And, and as Garnett was mentioning, this, this boundary between physical and digital dissolving more, more rapidly. And I think you see that with 
gesture-based interfaces. And you see that with, you know, projection mapped large scale installations where people are standing completely immersed in, in, in a, in a visual landscape that's being created, uh, by, by video projection, but it's so massive scale that, that, that they're getting immersed in that. And, you know, and, and then there's the augmented reality layers where now we're being able to, to reach into the space in front of our device and, and, and control graphics and, and things where they don't actually physically exist. But on my screen, I can see my hand and I can see the button that's not in space back there. And when I hit that artificial button, it makes something happen. And so now you're really seeing the, the interface disappear or become integrated into basic uh, human functionality and, and, and devices start to become less important. Yeah. So I think there's all kinds of interesting things happening. There's there's a weird barrier though that that I think we have to get over and it's this it's the ick factor that people don't the the coolness and the amazingness of the new experience is what draws us to it. But the things that make that commercially viable scare us away. It's like the idea that we can make we can make meat in a laboratory that's very environmentally responsible. But nobody wants to eat it because it's just gross to think of meat grown in a laboratory. And it's the same thing with data. I think, I think, I think Facebook and I think Google did a terrible job explaining to people over the last 10 years why they can provide these awesome services for free. And I think they took advantage of the idea that there's enormous value behind the scenes and being able to operationalize the activity and and learn from it and use it as marketing collateral. And we're now at this place where the general public is starting to understand and appreciate the level to which we we have this information and can what what can be done with it and it's icky, it's scary. We don't know how to respond to it. It doesn't feel right and that is inhibiting innovation. It's inhibiting our ability to kind of monetize these things in a way that's going to make the folks that have the skills and talent really come to market with uh, amazing solutions. And then we got to figure that out. And I don't think, I think we're, we're too far in one direction with the data right now. We need to draw that back and be more transparent. But at the same time, there's a, a lot of amazing things that are happening in the laboratories from a technology perspective that are looking for that avenue into the general market. And we haven't found it yet. Well, I'd like to, um, I'd, I'd, I'd like to pick up the thread on, on data a little bit. You know, I think that there's, yeah, uh, we talked about physical to virtual. We talked about physical, digital. You know, we talked about technologies. We talked about basically the, the arc of technology application from gimmicks essentially to more strategic. And it, throughout all of this was uh, this sort of, you know, embedded in, in, in the experiences and behind the scenes. And then, and then Chris picked up on data. I, I think that there's a real significant risk of backlash about how data is, is, is treated, how it's collected, how it's treated, you know, how much lack of transparency there is currently. You know, I, I think there's a real, real danger of backlash kind of getting in the way of, um, uh, breakthrough experiences going forward. You know, on the one hand, we're all sitting here talking about, you know, this sort of Shangri-La future of brand experiences. On the other hand, you know, personally, in my, in, in my daily life, I opt out of, of a lot of brand experiences. Um, sure. and, and, and I think we all do, don't we? Yeah, exactly. My, my end cap would be basically, you know, figuring out better, more transparent. I have another method of looking at it, which is also more transactional. You know, if you really, if you really want to know me and you really want my data, let's make a deal. 
<laughs> sure. And I think maybe 5G will support, you know, uh, platforms and, and, and applications that, uh, that, that end up making, you know, that data exchange more transparent and, and I would argue more transactional. Or it could result in uh, innovative ways of getting your data without you knowing it too. So there, there's that side of it as well. well that would be that would be kicking the can down the road. I think that's going to get solved with focus. And I think the thing that's happening on the macro level is the same thing that happens on the micro level, where somebody says, "I know I need data. I know when this is done, I'm going to have to report back on something, but I have no clue what I'm going to report on or what data I need. So let me collect everything I can think of." And when I get to my deadline, I'll figure out what to do with that in order to put a report together. It's going to be smart, and and so there becomes this 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 anxiety around needing to capture everything that's possible. Um, and and you replace that with focus. You replace that with with meaningful purpose that adds value to folks on both sides of the equation. And when you have that direction and you have that that uh, that understanding of hey, I'm gathering this data because I'm going to use it for this. And it's going to make this better. Then that starts to make sense, and and the folks that are going to benefit from the better are happy to offer it, and the folks that are collecting it are going to save money and have more sanity in the process. So it's it comes from focus, and and uh, there, there's some some areas and some niches have a lot of that, and others don't right now. And and we we spend a lot of time working with our clients trying to help them develop that, and then and then look to see either what aspects of their tools have what they need and what can they let go of and, and what aspects don't and, and what do you need to add? And a quick quick comment on on that piece. So Chris is talking about a, a huge value add that, that his services company lends into the mix. And, and it may or may not, in any given engagement, it may or may not be technologized, the delivery of, of the service. What, what, I'm, what I'm waiting for, and I, you know, I've spent a lot of time talking to James about this, uh, whether, you know, whether it's out there, <laughs> If not, you know, uh, should we build it uh, uh, or should we buy it? And so what, what I keep thinking about is wh where's the tech and for, you know, whether it's a platform or an app or what, where basically we are delivering some of that brilliance that Chris gives to his customers about what data you need back directly back into the, the feedback loop to make their, you know, data collection you know, that happens in their engagements and active, make that smarter. Sure. You know, make it more self-serve, make it more dashboard oriented. James and I spent a lot of time talking about that, where, where to get it, whether to build it to, or buy it. Right. I mean, I think that that points to there, there is some, some hunger in the market from the, the people who are making these investments in marketing programs to, to have better insight and better information. And I think the other side, this value exchange that we talk about and how so many of us opt out of the, the, the brand experiences because of the tracking and the data and that sort of thing. And, you know, my day job is to create these experiences and I probably opt out the, to more than most. I, I generally opt in when I just want to understand what people are doing out there. And, and oftentimes uh, halfway through the experience, I'm like, it's the same old thing and I don't really understand the relevance and what is the value to me. And, and, and so I end up opting out midstream and it just reinforces that, you know, when you're starting with a design of an experience for a brand being, you know, hyper conscientious about the value exchange. And, you know, if the brand is trying to collect some data and some insight, what, what value are you providing that consumer and user that compels them to want to trade that information? And, and, and it generally has to be a pretty valuable offer for people to really stay engaged and want to do that. 
Yeah, it has to be a service like Facebook or like Gmail, or it has mm-hmm. to be something that makes our life better. You know, it's from the from the, uh, the 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 buyers of marketing and the folks that are that are hiring us to put together these programs. You know, we've found that really it's it, they they want insight. They want to be able to get insight from the data, and and uh, and that's not static. It's very subjective to who the stakeholder is, and and a, 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 anybody will find data insightful if it helps them make better decisions. And so, in order to figure out what should be collected and how to collect it. You got to go to that very beginning and you got to say, you know, what, who are these stakeholders? What kind of decisions do they need to make day to day? What information is going to help them make those better decisions? And where does that information exist? And, and if you don't start there, then you're going to be in this frantic anxiety prone kind of place of getting everything you can imagine. But if you do start there, you, you know exactly what you need to collect and, and, uh, and why. And, and you have that, that sense of purpose that brings sanity to the, to the, the possibilities and all the chaos. So it's about relevance on both sides of the ledger, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Really want to thank James and Chris for being here. Such a great discussion. We did two episodes on it. And uh, I think your dog really liked it too, Garnett. Yeah, that's that's definitely him in the background. (laughs) So what do we have to look forward to next time? We have uh, a real treat. And a woman whose career cuts across a lot of big themes happening in the world right now, business themes. Her name is Geraldine Gregg, and uh, she's the CEO and founder of AnytownUSA.com, which is a, um, essentially a, an e-commerce clearinghouse, a portal for products made in the USA. What an, what an interesting yeah. concept in the, in the age of Chinese manufacturing. So that's, that's really cool. But, but really, the backstory on, on Geraldine has a lot to do with uh, her bursting through the glass ceiling in, in a lot of ways in, in other parts of her career. She's, she's a member of the board of directors of both Haynes, publicly traded company, and Welch's, a publicly traded company. So she's, she's seen it all, done it all, and she's, um, she's got a lot to say about things. Exciting stuff. Yeah, it sounds like a great episode. Really looking forward to that. And uh, we'll see you all next time. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for joining Garnett and Mark on the Innovation Podcast. Visit innovationpodcast.co to subscribe and listen to other episodes. home for the greater good. Secondhand smoke doesn't. It drifts through cracks in walls, air vents, and sink drains, spreading toxic chemicals that can damage lungs. Secondhand vape also puts your lungs at risk, even with the fruity smells. Protect yourself and the people around you from these secondhand dangers. Learn how at tobaccofreeca.com.